Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Fun little story. Uh, there is a there is a shade at the end of the road where we are at. Uh, that's a hay shade. And in our list of everything that we're trying to do, uh, we wanted to put a shade over the cage, over the basketball court. You know, put a, a shade over that. Eventually, close it in. And uh, and so uh, this uh, shade. Several guys had tried to buy it. Uh, they haven't been using it uh, for years. But he would never sell it. They've offered him lots of money. But we wrote him a little letter and we said, you know what? This shade that you have at the end of the road. Uh, it's exactly the size that we could use. Uh, it's about 150 uh, by 60. And, uh, and we had a line item in our budget uh, that was about $250,000 for a metal building that would be that shade. Uh, so uh, we said, you know, you've got a bunch of RVers that every now and then they come out and it's kind of an attractive nuisance. There's all these people uh, building a campfire underneath your shade. We would be willing to tear it down for $3,000. Uh, we would pay uh, you to tear it down and then we would own the building uh, at the end. What do you think? And I told my secretary, send this to the guys, uh, send it to them every month until we hear from them. Uh, and, uh, and so we sent out the first letter and within about a week, it comes back and they said, we'd love to sell. We can do it. So there you go. 3,000 bucks, a $250,000 building uh, that we tear down in a month or two. And, uh, and eventually we'll put uh, back up. And one of those line items that's on that list, you know, that you're like, oh man, this is a lot of money. We're just able to cross it off uh, with a mere uh, $3,000, pennies on the dollar uh, for what it would have cost us. And it's just one of those things that you just kind of step back and say, God, you are so good. I want to hand something out. I don't know if I have enough uh, for everybody, I'll need the usher or usher two to help me out uh, here. Uh, hand these to you. Uh, but this is uh, at Ironwood. We do a little thing called the Big Five, and uh, it's just five things about a certain topic. So hand these uh, like to one per fan. People are going to have to share. I've, I think I've only got eighty or hundred or something like that. Uh, but this is the needs of young adults. And uh, and so, how many of you in the room are somewhere between sixteen and twenty-six? Let me see your hands. How many people in the room, sixteen to twenty-six? A couple of you wanting to put your hands up in the air. Uh, okay, so we got a few of you. It's your guys' job to let me know at the end of the service, did we get this right or did we miss it? Because I'm talking about you here, and I know that that may be like, oh boy, he's talking about us, but uh, maybe we got it right, maybe we didn't. But 16 to 26, here's what sent me down this, this little path, was that there was a study uh, done, the decade of 16 to 26 is a major time of change in life-determining direction. Chances are six out of 10 events that a 70 or 80 year old would look back on and say, okay, here were the 10 big events in my life. 60% of them happen in the decade 16 to 26. Okay. Think about it yourself. If you have gone through that and you look back, okay, what are the big things that have happened in my life? Graduation from high school, maybe graduation from college, a career choice, maybe a second, third or a career choice. Maybe you got fired and a third career choice. 
Maybe a kid came along in that 16 uh, to 26. Maybe you got married uh, during, uh, during that time. Maybe one of the greatest losses that took place. Yeah, thank you. You got to get that order uh, correct uh, right there. Uh, maybe one of the, your big loss uh, that might have happened in your life happened during that time. But it really made me think. How do we minister? How do we help? What are the needs of a 16 to 26 year old? And I work with that age group quite a bit. And I started asking them questions. I started asking them, you know, what's hard about being you? What's hard about being this age? And it was interesting, some of the, some of the commonality sort of answers that we got. And so I want to share a couple of them here with you. You might not think of this, but number one, moments of intense loneliness. The itinerant nature of this time of life leads to times of loss of friends and stretches with no friends. The loss of community roots happens most during this time. Okay, think about it. This is the time where they live under more different roofs than any other time likely in their life. More different sets of friends. And we have a tendency to look at that age group and be like, oh man, they got friends all over the country. Yeah, but that's the problem. They're all over the country. For this moment, at this time, I am sitting here without a friend, trying to build new friends, starting all over, starting from scratch. Those of you who are in the middle of this right now, you know the dread every now and then of being like, oh man, it's September. It's going to start all over again. It's just, a, it's just a new season, a new set of friends. Second one, the mini midlife crisis. Things they thought were going to happen or work out are not happening as they had hoped dealing with the emptiness of what they had hoped for. We don't think about it, but the mini midlife crisis is the realization that leaving, uh, being about 16 years old, yeah, there's a lot of things that you look at life and you're like, I saw that in a movie, I know how this works. And you guys have lived life and you know that it's not the way the movie works. And you had, a, you had an idea about what this would be and how it would all kind of work out and then it's just changing. I, right after I shared this with our crew, one of the guys sat down with me, he's like, that's me, mini midlife crisis. I've always said that I'm supposed to do, in, in his situation, I, I'm always supposed to be program. I'm not a program guy. I said, what, you, you applied to be in program? I know, but I'm not. And, and you're just realizing, okay, what I thought I would love, I don't. Now that I have experience, now that I'm learning these things, it's, it's harder uh, than I thought. Number three, they are baby choice makers. The first time with the ability to make their own decisions under their own roof. This newness will result in plenty of mistakes slash sin. And those are different as well. But as people who are kind of working with this age group, and this is a church that needs to be great at 16 to 26 year olds, because these are the baby choice makers. This is the nursery of choice making. We've probably got a nursery somewhere here on campus, and it's probably totally set up. Like if I walked in, I'm like, oh, these are for the people just learning how to walk. No doubt about it. These are for the people who don't realize that those little plugs can be dangerous. This is a place that's been totally set up for babies. But we've got to understand that a person at this age, 16 to 26, is a baby choice maker. 
They're in the process of making decisions for the first time. And what a wonderful time it is. Just like as you watch that little, uh, that little baby start to stand up, wobble around, fall back on his back end. You're like, that's so cute. Come on, get back up. But baby choice makers at 16 to 26, when they fall down, it's not always so cute. And yet it's just a part of, of growing up that we have to, as a church, kind of, kind of help that person uh, through. Number four, sowing and reaping of character and sin problems. Their issues are now growing into adult problems with serious consequence. We need to help in these moments and not be entertained by the drama. Yeah, there's a lot of things that you're stepping back. I knew that was going to happen. No doubt about that. I mean, I did that. Well, of course you did. You were also 16 to 26 somewhere along the way. And this person who, who's just kind of figuring things out, we've got to kind of come alongside uh, and help them. And the sowing and reaping is real and it's hard. It's difficult, but it's, it's part of what's, it's part of this, this life, this decade of life. And number five, relationships with a generation ahead of them, sharing the whys, hows, and lessons from their lives. They don't need inconsistency, exaggerations, or busy responses from those they need to learn from. They need friendship, honest love as a peer, patience, and an example of faith in God. I would challenge you, everybody who's 16 to 26 in this room, that you not think of them as a kid. Could you think of them as an adult, as a peer? They're... Yeah, yeah, they don't have the experience that you might have, but they, they have the, the mind, the ability, the strength to be an adult. And although they're younger than you, they're not kids. I would encourage you to figure out, say, oh, how, do I, how do I hang out? How do I, how do I be part of this person's life? When I sat down with our 16 to 26-year-olds, they're like, okay, what do, you, what do you guys wish that we had more of? And they're like, we wish we could just hang out. I'm like, okay, what is that? They're like, well, it's kind of like when we, when we, we, it's not at home and it's not at work and it's not at the lounge that you guys have kind of prepared for us. It's got to, I don't know, we just hang out. I said, well, what do you do? I don't know. We just, we just do whatever you normally do. I said, okay, that's pretty boring. Uh, Okay, uh, okay, so we, and we asked questions, and Cindy and I, we sat down, and said, okay, how do you hang out? Like, like what, what is this? So Cindy and I bought a little refrigerator, put it out in the garage, filled it with a bunch of drinks, came back and told everybody, said, okay, uh, on Monday night, you guys can hang out at our house. What are we doing? <laughs> Whatever we do on Monday night. <laughs> I mean, we might have the TV on, we might play a game, we might, uh, I don't know, we might do nothing. If you're thirsty, you go to the fridge and open it and see what's there. If you're hungry, you can go to the other fridge and see what's there. It doesn't matter to me. When does it start? We're hanging out. Come and leave. You know? Uh, Wow, okay. Uh, You mean we could just go to the fridge and open it? Yes. Man, it's like we're family. I said, I don't even treat my family this good. <laughs> and it was crazy. It was just, it was, it was fun. Now, the first night, I'm like, okay, Cindy, I got to go blow the walks. Everybody's coming over tonight, you know. Uh, and she's like, no, you can't blow the walk. We're just hanging out. This isn't company. Yeah, but they're coming over to our house. Yeah, no, 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 you can't blow the walks. Well, then you can't do the dishes. Uh, 
yeah, but there's company. No, 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 we're hanging out. And so, yeah, TV's on and things, and you just come over. And we did. We just hung out. I had to work against my whole, I want a structure, start time, stop time. Who's bringing the cupcakes? Uh, who's bringing the drinks? Who's, you know, how does that, no, we didn't even ask them if they were coming or not. We just said, we're doing it on this night. Whoever showed up did. Some of the time they're just talking to their mom on the phone at our hangout. Cause that's what you do when you hang out, just whatever. I realized we're not very good at 16 to 26. And I went through that age. I know what that was like, but it's, I'm in a different season of life, but I need to remember as a person who's a little bit older that I need to have fun with a 16 to 26 year old. That doesn't mean I'm always doing everything that they think is fun. Sometimes I'm just shaking my head. I'll invite them to what I'm doing that's fun. And sometimes they're just shaking their head. But we just kind of just be together and just hang out, talk about uh, whatever's going on in, in life. Tonight, we're going to talk about relationships. And uh, we're going to go to a passage. Uh, we're going to go to the Song of Solomon, probably not somewhere that you go often uh, there. And a couple of you who know the Bible are like, uh-oh, because uh, this is... This is, a, this is beyond a rated PG book of the Bible. Uh, uh, but uh, we're going to look at a couple of verses that help us out on the area of relationship. Okay, so what, what does it take to have a relationship? Well, it starts out with two. Okay, takes two to have a relationship. I remember when I wanted to have a relationship with Cindy, it went something like this. I just graduated from high school. I'm on summer staff. I see her walking across Rivertown, and I'm like, whew, there is a pretty girl. I would like to get to know her. And she walked on by, and I made sure that every now and then I was at her table. You know, you can just kind of sit wherever. So I made sure I was at her table. I was one of the crew leaders, so I made sure that, that I'm like, well, I'll take that whole bunch right over there. And she was in that bunch, uh, so that worked out uh, really well. And over the course of a couple weeks, we would sit down at break time. I would realize, oh man, her family is a lot like my family. She got in trouble for the same things I got in trouble for. Like, like we had similar, uh, similar things with our parents, and I'm like, I just really need to get to know this person better. Now, at that time, we had eight guy counselors, and I lived with that group in a couple of cabins, but I knew that a bunch of them also wanted to get to know her. She was a person of interest. So I was concerned. I needed to let her know that she was a person of interest before all these other guys let them know. Uh, you know so, so I just, I moved quick. If you want a relationship, you've got to like do something. So I wrote her a little note. Now, this is a long time ago, before electronics. You never typed on a phone. A phone was, not, a phone was something with a wire on the wall. And I said, you know, dear Cindy, I've really enjoyed getting to know you these two weeks. I would be interested in dating you. She wrote me back a very kind note that said, no. <laughs> we can just be friends. <laughs> Twist. Ouch. Okay, we can just be, that's progress, progress. <laughs> we can just be friends. And so I was friends with her. Uh, her brother worked for me, that which worked well, because I figured out what was going on on the weekend. I got invited by him to be with her. Not, 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 that wasn't the plan there, but it worked for me. And at the end of summer, after spending some weekends with her, getting to know her better, I'm like, okay, this is a girl I really need to get to know. 
I happened to be the one, happened to be the one who took her to the airport with several other people. She was the last plane to leave. You could walk all the way up to the gate. And I once again, in person, asked, as we were going to separate colleges, I said, would, would you be interested in dating? And she very succinctly said, no. We can be friends. Stab again. Ouch. I said, well, can I write you? She said, sure. So every Tuesday and Thursday for the next nine months, I wrote her a letter. Whether she wrote me one or not, I sent her a letter every Tuesday and Thursday with the mail system every now and then. I'm going out on a date. No, no, no. And it would take a week to find out what happened. And after the nine months, I said, okay, after commencement, I'm going to drive uh, to where uh, you're at. It'll take me uh, 22 hours, drove all the way through the night. We were supposed to meet on a bridge between 12 and 2. I got lost. I made it to that bridge with about 10 minutes to spare. And I once again said, would you date me? And she said, yes. Whew. A relationship <laughs> takes two. You know, it, it, it takes time together. It takes some kind of connection, something that you're there with. But I want to talk about this little topic called love. Many times we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, a love chapter. It tells us all about this is what it is. This is what it, not, what, what it isn't. But there's a couple of interesting verses in the Song of Solomon that tell us a little bit about love. Now, the Song of Solomon is about two people who can barely be apart. I mean, they are, they are a mess. They are constantly wanting to be together. And they talk about how much they want to be with each other. Turn, if you would, to the Song of Solomon, chapter 8. Song of Solomon, chapter 8. And you might have to look in your table of contents to find it. It's going to be a small book uh, there in the middle of your Bible. Song of Solomon, chapter 8. This is a passage that describes two people in love. Song of Solomon, chapter uh, 8, starting with verse 6. Set me as a seal upon thy heart. Uh, she is talking at this point. She says, set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm. For love is strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which hath a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would be utterly contemned. Here in this passage, we see just a couple of things about love. And what I love about this is that many times we haven't spent much time here really studying. And so we get kind of an aspect or a facet of love that, that is really something that my hope here in the next 20 minutes or so is to make you kind of just think and be like, huh, there's something I could do just a little bit different, just a little bit better. And so as we go through tonight, let this be a message that is personal that is about what you might change. Not what you wish somebody else might change, but you would sit there and say, okay, I, huh, this is something that I, I personally need to think about. So here we see this description of love. It starts off with, set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm. She's asking there for a covenant 
for, for a, a sign, some, some kind of physical representation of what's in your heart be something that is kind of known. I, I happen to be in front of people quite often, and every now and then, Cindy lets me know, she's like, you know, you just, just don't treat me just like everybody else. At some point, you gotta, you, you just, you gotta treat me just a little bit different, like wink at me. There we go. Ah, I only winked at Cindy, nobody else. What, what's, what Cindy is saying there is, you know, I, 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 I know what's in your heart, but I wish that every now and then I would see that like, like obvious. Now, we do that in our culture with a ring. We give each other a ring, and that's something that we wear, and it signifies that my heart is set on somebody else, on, 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 on my wife, my spouse. And in this uh, passage right here, uh, we're seeing that this, in the culture, it was something that you would wear on your arm. Uh, that that's uh, something that, they, that the same thing that I would see, that, that what was part of your heart, that I would see in a physical uh, manifestation, that you would make a covenant and set that uh, seal. We continue on. Set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm, for love is strong as death. That's pretty strong, because death is pretty strong. Love is as strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which hath a most vehement flame. Here we're seeing that this love, as it's being described, as this love that this person has, has great power, has a great deal of intensity. I mean, you, you think about what they're trying to describe. Okay, my love, and, and it's something that's in my heart, so how do I describe it? And she describes it as this, this hot flame, this vehement flame, this, this thing of power. And she said, I just want to describe what I have uh, for you, and, and it's this love. Look at verse 7. Many waters cannot quench love. Neither can the floods drown it. Okay, so not only does she want a covenant on the outside of what's going on in the heart, not only do we see that we want this love that's going to have this great power and intensity, but we see here that this love can endure some huge difficulty. Okay, so it's not just a flame with a great fire, and, and we see that every now and then, we see this great fire, but you bring a five-gallon bucket of water to that fire, and boosh, a bunch of steam, not much of a fire, but look at this love. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. Okay, that, that just took this fire to a whole new level. The fire is still burning, flooded. She's giving us a picture here of love and what love is that we're like, wow, that's that's, okay, it's going to endure some difficulty. It's going to endure the floods that come about. It's got some intensity. It's got some power. And then we get here to the end. And this is just an interesting phrase that I've, I think we've just got to think about what's going on here. Many waters cannot quench flood, uh, love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love it would be utterly condemned. What is this saying? This is very simply saying that love 
is not for sale. You, you don't buy love. You don't go to the store and, and buy love. It's not something that you could buy. In fact, if you tried to buy love, that person would look at that attempt to buy your love and be disgusted by that to make you think that my love could be bought? No. What does this tell you about our love? This tells us that love, when, when, when it comes to relationships that we have with other people, when we love another person, that is your gift to that person to love them. They don't, they don't buy it. There's not something, well, I've done this and this and this, so of course you should love me. No, if you are loved by somebody, that is a gift. Now, I, I could feel that when I wanted to make that connection with Cindy and said, I, I'd be interested in dating you. No. If I would have pulled out my wallet, how, how much to date me? No, no, I'm serious. I, I've got like a couple thousand dollars in the bank. You're disgusting. I, I would have not had a, a chance. Like it doesn't work that way. And yet in the back of our minds, we kind of think to ourselves, you know, if I've done this and this and this, then I should be loved. I, I deserve love. I have provided, I have given, I have done, I have done all these things. Something should happen. <laughs> no, that's not the way love works. When you start to think about, okay, so love is not bought. I, there's nothing that I can do to buy it. I can, so, so my side of the relationship is that I can choose to love. Just my choice. Now, any of the parents in this room who have children, you know, when you were in that 16 to 26, you kind of looked at kids and when they came on Sunday, they, they all looked fine. But now that you're parents, you know what kids look like in the middle of the night. You know how much effort it takes to get them to church. You know that they are not always lovable you know that to love them is your choice. There's nothing they've done to earn your love. In fact, they've done a lot of things that you should be like, yeah, stay away. But no, you keep coming in and you keep on giving your love. It's, it's not like you fall out of love, like I, I fell out of love. I, I'm not in love anymore. What, what is that? I'm not choosing to love anymore? It, th this love is this gift that I give to this other person to say, I choose to love you. Wow. That's cool. Because God loved us. And he gave. He gave. 
and we can love God. And we give. Yeah, if there's anybody who's earned the entire planet's love, God has. But does that mean that everybody loves God? Absolutely not. It's the choice that you have. And what an amazing God who actually gives us that opportunity, that opportunity to to love, to choose to give of my heart, my love towards this person. And one of the things that happens in relationship is we're like, well, how do I, how do I do that? How do I, how do I give? How do I, how do I give love? Let me just give you a a couple like real practical things to think about. A relationship is many times built around these two concepts of being with somebody and doing something with them. Okay, so the be with and the do with, this combination is kind of what makes that relationship work. It can't all be just do with, and it can't just all be be with. It's kind of a little bit of both of them that you figure out, okay, that's, that's what I'm going to do. So if I'm going to give my love to another person, then I'm going to look for those ways to be with them and to do something with them. That's why family vacations are so hard. Because you love everybody in the family, and for half of the vacation, you're not doing what you feel like doing. You're doing what your four-year-old feels like doing. And that's great fun for the four-year-old, and it's fun for you to watch them have fun, but it really wasn't that much fun for you. But you are giving, you are being with them, doing with them. I think it's interesting that God, the almighty God, who wants to have a relationship with you for all of eternity, I think he makes man and woman with the ability to have, like relationship is one of the things that we do best because that's what he wants to do with us forever. So you're all good at this. He wants to be with you forever. So God is not going to make a defective relationship. He's not going to make a second-rate, oh, let's put this one together. I guess I'll have to live with that for all of eternity. No. He's, he's going to make what is the, the very best being to have a relationship with him for all of eternity. And so in the Garden of Eden, is he with them 24-7? Mm-mm. We, we hear in the Garden of Eden that he comes down in the evening time, that he hears of what they were doing, that he, that he kind of fellowships with them. I think if Cindy and I were together 24-7, we'd drive each other crazy. Part of the fun is life is that we get to do separate things and come back together and talk about what has happened. There are times where we get to do some things together, and that's a lot of fun. And then there are some times where she does her thing and I do my thing. When we go to the mall, we don't stay together. Now at the end, I find out, what did you buy? What did you buy? We talk about it. Be with and do with. Look at some of the relationships that you have right now with your children. Is it all just be with? Is it all do with? Is, it, is some of that missing? What about your spouse? 
Where's the be with and do with with your spouse? I think it's interesting as we keep growing older, you kind of have to figure out what are we going to do together? Because it's different than in our early 20s, early 30s, early 40s. It's just, it's going to change. But how am I going to be with Cindy? What are we going to do together? Your church body. How do you develop relationships with this church body? It doesn't happen by just being with them, by just coming in and sitting in a pew and being like, uh, I can't build any friends. I don't have any friends. I don't have any relationship. Well, you got to go do something. You got to go volunteer for something. You got to go be part of something. You got to say, okay, I'm going to do it. That's what makes it cool. Professional players playing sports, they get ready to retire. What do they talk about? I'm going to miss the locker room. It is the sport the do with that brought them together, but it's the be with that they're going to miss. And we have to make sure that, because my problem is I'm just a do with guy. Like, like I just do, 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 do. <laughs> and, and I just, just settle down. Just sit down and be with everybody. Yeah, but we're wasting time. Uh-huh. That's how you build a relationship. Not a waste. And so some of you are like, no, no, I just want to have coffee. I just want to sit around and and that's all I want to do. I just don't want to do anything. No, that's not a relationship either. At some point you're going to be like, I don't think I would like that. How do you know you haven't even done anything? Go do something with them. Cindy and I in the last few years, it's been quite an adventure of be with and do with. And and that is the way you give your love to another. What about your relationship with God? Same thing. Be with and do with. Sometimes I'm working in God's service, but sometimes I'm just sitting there talking to him. Sometimes I'm just telling him, I can't wait to be in heaven with you. And just tell him all the things that you're looking forward to, a home that is in heaven. That's just be with. And then other times it's get up in the morning and let's go build the make it mercantile because there's going to be a bunch of campers that want to do crafts. And that's do with for my God. Do with and be with. It is a choice that you make to give a relationship, to give your love to another. Yep, you can be totally self-absorbed. Yep, you can only be concerned about your problem. But that means you're just loving yourself. And that is a lonely, lonely life. That is be with and do with for me. Which is not the way God designed you. God designed you to love another. And when you give that love, it has an intensity and a power and and an ability to withstand difficulties. And no doubt in this room, there are hundreds of difficulties represented. But you have something bigger than those hardships. Your gift of love, a gift of love to God, a gift of love to your church family, the gift of love to the people who live under the same roof you're under. What an opportunity, but it is totally personal. 
You can't sit here and be like, yeah, but I've given so much. Why don't they? Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're just making love something that you can buy. And the moment you have that attitude, it will be condemned, disgusting. They won't want to have anything to do with it. And if you do find yourself in a spot where somebody has given you love, don't take that for granted. Thank them for the gift that only they can give. It's their choice. And what a wonderful thing it is to be loved. Nothing that I've done, but a choice that somebody else has made. Song of Solomon gives us kind of a view of love that kind of is, it's a little bit different than 1 Corinthians 13. It's a little bit different than other places where love is, but there's facts and truth here that are just so like, huh, I need to be just a little bit different. So if you would, bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment and think about the relationships that you have. And I'd like you to just say, you know what? There's one or two, maybe three people. I'm sure you could list everybody if you wanted to, but just, just list one or two in your mind that you say, you know what? I need, to, I need to be intentional about my gift of love to this person. And pick what you're going to do with or be with, with them. How are you going to show that love? This is the maintenance of our relationships. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.